0: And welcome to this edition of G220 Radio. My name is Mac, and this is episode number 539. And we're going to be talking about Benjamin Bedham. You've probably never heard of him. You may have. So we're going to discuss who he is, because selfishly, maybe I wanted to know more about him and kind of who break up the long line of material we've been doing in Proverbs to add something a little bit different, change up the flavor and kind of get back into church history. One thing I've done in the past when I've whole, when I've done a show by myself is to think about figures in church history, their theology, their importance. And kind of moving away from the early church where we've talked about Ignatius and Polycarp, is to talk about Benjamin Bedham. Now, Benjamin Bedham uh, has become of interest to me as of late, last couple of years. I've been introduced to him several years ago when I started teaching the Baptist Catechism to kids at my church. And he wrote a book called The Scriptural Exposition of the Baptist Catechism. And I first got it just like kind of Aquinas. I kind of was reading through it. And I was like, I don't know how helpful this is. And it has become a great help. Um, I have used it oftentimes to pick up other verses that help clarify the points of the Baptist Catechism. Now, the Baptist Catechism has verses, so we can go see and examine and study and to see whether the Catechism is true. But there's more than just what the Catechism has in Um, Benjamin Bedham's book on the Baptist catechism, the exposition of it, which uses questions also helps out to kind of bring about a more full view of what the Baptist catechism teaches and what the 1689 teaches, the 1689 Second London Baptist confession of faith. And so, Kind of thinking about knowing Ricky's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Finishing up Proverbs 17, I decided, you know what? I want to know more about Benjamin Bedham, and and then help G two twenty listeners know who Benjamin Bedham is because of just the impact that I've seen in my life. Kind of thinking through some of the stuff that he has written, but also to come to find out that he was a pastor who wrote hymns. We'll discuss this um, a little bit later. So who is this Benjamin Bedham? Well, he is a Baptist preacher from the 18th century. He was born in 1717 and he died in 1795. And And one, since he's kind of like a second-generation Baptist, and his father is a Baptist preacher, his father is knows Benjamin Keach, and who is in himself a larger-than-life Baptist figure. Benjamin Keach is important when it comes to this confessions. The um, he writes his own. Catechism, the keeps' catechism, which is also known as the Baptist Catechism. Though I learned in studying this, it is different because Collins, Hercule Collins, Collins, also a prominent Baptist in England, um, did an edit of it and probably should be called the Collins Catechism. But I'm not a, that's beyond the scope of this episode. So Benjamin Bedham. He's a Baptist preacher, 18th century, and his father is a Baptist preacher. His father would teach at um, Alcaster Baptist Church. It's still in existence today. I was on their website just before the show. They have a female pastor, whatever that may mean. People know our views on female pastors here, but it's still using the name. There is a, a rich his, there is a history in which they are part of the they may have deviated from the faith. And his dad would later get called to teach at Pithy Church in Bristol. Now, when they go to Bristol, Benjamin Bedham is seven years old. So this was in night in 1724. And he Benjamin's dad, John, would remain there until his death. There also of of importance is a guy named Bernard Foskett. Now, Bernard Foskett was a close, close friend to Benjamin's dad, John, and would be one of the reasons they would move to Bristol. Both um, Bernard and John pastored the same church, in um, the alcester Baptist Church. Bernard would leave to go pastor a different church in Bristol when the pithy church is looking for a pastor. It seems, at least from what all the sources I've listened to, that Bernard Faskett was one of the, intermi- the f- instruments in which brought John Bedham to Bristol. Bernard Faskett is also important because... After Benjamin is saved, he will go to the Bristol Baptist Academy, in which Bernard Fasca is the principal of. He's the head, and Benjamin Bedham would study underneath him. In 1737, Benjamin Bedham would be convicted of his sins. The story goes, obviously, he hears his father preach week in and week out, but a, a guest preacher comes in and he's convicted. It it, it disturbs his soul. And he will later be converted later on, after just under his father's preaching. And um, Dr. Haken in his biological sketch I read mentioned that he that, Benjamin would go hide in the corridors so that people would not hear him cry. So the Lord saves him in 1737. He would be trained at the Bristol Baptist Academy. It still exists today. um, But like their first church seems to be liberal. And he's raised in the Calvinistic Baptist tradition very early on. Uh, He would uh, continue his study in London. He would actually study under an Arminian theologian who was known to be bright and sharp. He would be baptized while in London there. And then Bedham begins to pastor. And he moves to Burton on the Water, which is north of Oxford, and in the similar area on which Shakespeare is born in um, Stratton upon Avon. And he would become the pastor there, or start preaching and pastoring there in 1740. But he's not the pastor. I'm listening to another podcast. As um, they had someone on talking about Benjamin Bedham, he mentioned that it was kind of like a probationary period. That for three years, the people at his church were watching, wait, and listening and seeing if he is fit to be their pastor. And the the guest on the podcast covenant podcast should give out clear um attribution he was mentioning about how different that is in America today that a pastor might preach a couple times meet kind of groups as he would say and then they would vote on him. Here, Benjamin Bedham has to wait three years while doing the work of a pastor. During these three years, though, God is gracious to him, and the church sees revival. This is kind of towards the end of what we would call the Great American, this the first great awakening. You think of Jonathan Edwards. We'll talk a little bit more about his influence here in a little bit. But in England, it's called the Evangelical Revival. Um, There could have been a chance. It's unclear to know. But Benjamin Bedham may have known. um, I think Jonathan Edwards, but it's not it. Um he would have known one of the principal revivals, revivalist during that time, George Whitfield. And there they were been in contact with each other. Again, there is no evidence to suggest how close they are. Um, but Benham certainly knows of him. And so Benjamin Benham starts to pastor. His churches. Is, is having a genuine revival early in his church, in his pastorate. In fact, he would by Jonathan Edwards, the distinguishing marks of the work of the spirit of God, which Edwards tries to, in that piece, evaluate what is a actual revival and what is not. What is an actual move of the spirit in which kind of all these people are coming to genuine faith under these preachers? This would be opposed to what in the Second Great Awakening, when we think of Finney, who sees revival as this aspect within the church to make it more holy. So Jonathan Edward is arguing that we should see the work of the spirit and there should be these distinguishing marks. Now, Benjamin Bedham... Reading this, he's evaluating whether he is experiencing revival at his church. His church would grow to about 180 people during this time, and it will be the largest of his pastorate. There, he will pastor 55 years at this one church, he would pastor until 1795, which is the year that he died. So he pastors a very long time in his church. I mean, just let's just stop and think about that. There are very few pastors I can name that have been at a church for so long and not even that long. You'd think of maybe a John MacArthur R.C. Sproul was at his church for a long time. But those are kind of bigger names. Maybe we kind of expect it. But but to think about a pastor, especially in our day of age, staying at one church, faithfully preaching for 55 years— That's a long time. And and to love them. I think there's something we can probably be convicted of. Maybe as church members now, you know, obviously pastors make their choices. And they should love, and they do love, the flock. And, I mean, Benjamin Benham had offers to go to other church, including the Pithy Church in Bristol where his dad was the pastor. And they tried to bring him after towards the end of his father's life. There were churches, I think there was a a church in London who would want him to come. And he, he doesn't. He stays at his small little church in the countryside of England. And I try to think about this as from a congregant perspective. Obviously, in nowadays, mobility is much easier. And the pastor um, on the Covenant podcast I was listening to was talking about, I mean, he's been at his church for 25 years. And there is this sense of a culture in which, as bad as it is that, there is this kind of going up into bigger churches. This idea of like to know that you're succeeding as a pastor, you get called to bigger churches, better churches. And to think about how different Bedham thinks. And, and what would that mean as, as a congregant? I mean, that your pastor can, in one sense, go to a different place, but he chooses to stay. And how can I, as a congregant, as a layperson, sitting on the pastor's teaching, be want to, I don't know, make that decision to leave hard to, to show love to my pastor and to, to appreciate him. Like what I think when we, we think about, cause obviously Benjamin's a pastor and we don't get to really see the, congregant side. We're not in the heads of the congregation um, and to think about it. But I think it is something to think about what would drive a pastor. Now, some of this in our context may be the corporate mindset. You got to climb the corporate ladder and and we have applied this in kind of a church setting that the culture has kind of inflicted our ecclesiology in this way. I don't think a pastor would ever say that. But maybe we should recognize it. But anyways, Benjamin Bedham stays at his church for 55 years. Early gets a revival early in his lifetime. And the church is stable, but loses members. By the time he dies, there is about 126 on the rolls. But during the Sundays, there's estimates that he would preach to over 600 people in a sermon. That almost seems flipped when we think about American church where you might have like 600 people on the roll, but only have 120 show up. I mean, how typical is that for a Southern Baptist church? You hear jokes about how um, even the FBI can't find half the members on a Southern Baptist church role. And the, the lack of engagement. And yet, in England, in he, this church, there are more people coming to hear Benjamin Benham preach than the actual members in his church they're coming and and the reason they're coming is that he is a passionate and simple preacher Benjamin Benham is one of great evangelical efforts he takes joy and preaching the gospel and wanting people to take the gospels to the nations. And he writes songs about evangelism and taking the gospel out. So he is a man who wants to see people saved. He is a passionate man who preaches the truth with a gentleness and a pleading with unction for people to come. And this characterizes his preaching. He will preach for, he's a a statesman in the association he is part of. He'll preach there multiple times. He'd become president. Well, people wanted to hear him preach and to learn from him, and we don't. We have three volumes of his sermons. I'll, I'll read part of one. Um, during the show, but he preached for his people. He, as I mentioned earlier, wrote a book on scriptural The scriptural exposition of. The Baptist Catechism, and it was a book, while it was published, was a book for his people, for the people of his church. Even the hymns, he would write um, hymns after every sermon to kind of codify the lessons of the sermon. He wrote 850 of them for the people of his church. Like the Puritans, he wanted the people of his church to love God. And he did everything for them. I think this is what we see at the heart of our pastors. And we should realize that even in our context, this is why the local church is so important, though when the pastors get up there and preach... Some may have false motives, but pastors who love their church preach to their church, not to a podcast, not to other things. I think we can take lessons here of when we're looking for churches. Is the pastor concerned about the people in his church? Has it come across in what he does. Benjamin Bedham cared for his people. He provided them with rich resources that we have now. So he has preaching. And then, as I mentioned earlier, and I think it's important, I have it here. You can see it. This is um, Solid Ground Christians book. Edition has an introduction by Dr. James Renahan, Biological sketch from Dr. Haken of a scripture, an ex scriptural exposition to the Baptist catechism. And he goes through all 114 questions in kind of a question answer format. I mean, think of here, here's question 23. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the state of sin and misery? And the Catechism answers the question, God having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the state of sin and misery and bring them into a state of salvation by a Redeemer. So Benjamin Bedham, to kind of explain this, and this is a long, longer one, so I won't do it all, starts off, shall any of human race be recovered from the ruins of the fall? The answer is yes. Quotes Romans 9.27, a remnant shall be saved. He asks, is the salvation of this remnant certain? The answer is yes. The purpose of God according to election shall stand, Romans 9.11. Are all others left to perish in their sins? Yes. The rest were blinded. Romans 11, 7. But is God's decree the impulse cause of their ruin? No. For they lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it has finished, bringeth forth death. James 1, 15. Are all the saints the objects of God's eternal choice? Yes. God hath from the beginning chosen you, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. And all those chosen to happiness as the end? Yes. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. And to sanctification as the means? Yes. Ye are chosen to salvation through sanctification, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Are they chosen in Christ? Yes, according to, according as he hath chosen us in him. Ephesians 1 4. And is it a certain number that is thus chosen? Yes, the Lord knoweth them that are his. 2 Timothy 2 19. So you can see in his exposition, just asking questions about catechism and and diving deeper into the riches in which the catechism aims to teach us and to to think about the bible and to better understand the doctrines contained in it and this is important for the christian life. and i know we jokingly talk about how in proverbs i'll like slip in questions and answers from the baptist catechism but I, there's there's a reason for it there's an importance for it because they say stuff better than i can. they're succinct and pointed. In one sense, it's like the Proverbs. And so what Benjamin Bedham has given to us is a way to better understand the Baptist catechism. And and one of the reasons why he did it, Michael Haken pulls, up, um, points out, and also I think James Montgomery as uh, the guest on the Covenant podcast, talks about how... He does this because the Baptist catechism may not be as clear as maybe Benjamin wanted them to be in their answers. You only can say so much. And so this allowed him to teach his congregation the truths they are ought to believe. The truths surrounded by the church's confession, and then also more broadly in the Baptist, the Calvinistic Baptist tradition with the 1689 Second London Confession of Faith. And so Benjamin Bedham did this. This uh, would later become printed at the Bristol Baptist Academy. It became one of the books. There was a couple printings there. And so it would be used to train Baptist pastors going out to the pastorate to help them to better understand the doctrine containing in the Baptist catechism. But not only that, he wrote hymns. I got it back here. Um, You can buy a facsimile on Amazon. And again, as I mentioned earlier, and just to repeat it, he wrote hymns to illustrate the points of his sermon. Um, He never printed, but a small few of his hymns they they weren't designed to be sent out he wasn't trying to compete with the isaac watts for instance um but he understood the importance of song and we've i mean, i think i've mentioned this um, before on different podcasts that um songs are powerful songs are important songs help us to memorize things even when I was reading the Baptist Catechism, I'm thinking of the song, trying not to sing it while I say it, and which you can um, purchase if you like, not on our website. You can find it on Google, and so songs are important. And he, Benjamin Benham wrote over eight hundred and fifty songs. Um, it seems like kind of what the the scholars are saying as I was thinking through this, reading through on this, is that he might have only maybe wrote a couple verses. Um, 850 isn't enough to cover the entire span of his life. And so, but in general, he would write a song after each sermon. I was joking with, my wife about this and some others um, that his, I like his hymns better than more what we would usually call old Baptist hymns. I just maybe because they're older and I grew up Presbyterian. I just like really old things. Like maybe that's it, but just to, to show um kind of an interest to read one of his hymns. This is hymn number 47 in this book, Life of Christ. Um, it has no has no music, so you don't have to listen to me read or sing, but he goes, so this is on the life of Christ. He goes, When Jesus dwelt in feeble clay, prayer was his solace and delight. Twas this he spent the busy days, and still employed the silent night. Verse two, oppressed with sorrow, not his own, but laden with our guilt and grief, he bowed before his father's throne, and there he sought and found relief. Each fleeting hour he passed away in sweet communion with his God. O oh, let us learn from him to pray. And tread the path which Jesus trots. And you think about the, the depths of these lyrics. When Jesus dwelt in feeble clay. you thinking about his incarnation. His dependence of God in prayer. He's oppressed with sorrows, but not his own. Laden with our guilt and grief, he goes before God in prayer. And and as I've read several of these, not all of them, but several of these, you you see this kind of continual depth of theological rigor calling us to something better calling us to behold god as god and to to think about these These truths in, in poetic ways that stir our heart for worship. To think about, here's one Baptists like to sing about heaven. And so a song, hymn on heaven. Here's a uh, perfect purity and love. He writes, Lord, with transporting joy we view the glories of thy courts above. May we with zeal our course pursue to those bright realms of bliss and joy. I mean, just reading that makes me think of Pilgrim's Progress and John Bunyan. As Christian goes to the celestial city the joy. Bedham writes, their holiness divine appears, and peace has fixed her blessed abode. Their every shining spirit wears the image of its maker, God. Verse 3: The jarring passions lose their power, and sin no longer rules the mind. The happy soul is now no more in chains of unbelief confined. The final verse: the mingle streams of grace and love and sweet Miranders over. Ever flow, command, oh God, our souls above, or spread a heaven for us below. Deep truths. He wrote these for his church. They were published in 1818, about just over 20 years after he passed away. And now we get to enjoy the fruits of his labor and to think about God in these ways. I think it's just the powerful. Um, if you're to pick this up, you can use it, um, it gives you what they call meter, um, and you can use different tunes in modern day. Hymnals to be able to sing those, and appropriately, the t- title is hymns adapted for public worship or family devotion. So they saw the need for both, and so lastly, just kind of to to think about and to to read. One of his sermons, he, you know, preaching for 55 years, has lots of sermons. He'd preach other times too, not just on in his pulpits on Sunday. But we don't have them. They weren't copied down. And even the ones we do have are more notes. They're not... They're not sermons as we think about them. Um, He was a gifted preacher, as I mentioned, and um, one that could say that when you pricked him, he bled the Bible. Um, One of the, again, a story hearing off of the Covenant podcast um, from their guest was mentioning that he forgot what he was to preach on. And so, in a kind of a, a coded way, at the, um, I think it was an a social meeting, another pastor gave him uh, something to, to speak on, and on his way up to the pulpit, would preach a sermon on a text. Not that I advise doing this, but just to show the type of man, a man who was devoted to the word of God. And in this one, he talks about, this is um, his first sermon, I think in the first volume of a three volume set of his sermons. It's uh, called the importance of scripture knowledge. And he takes, he takes it from Luke 1, four, and the King, I think it's King James says that thou might knowest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So the sermon goes, three observations naturally arise from these words, that there are some things in which all real converts have been instructed, that the certain knowledge of these things may not yet be wanting, is lacking, or is to be obtained, but that this certain of certainty of knowledge is very desirable. So observation one, that there are some things in which all real converts are instructed by reading meditation and teaching of men, but especially by the spirit of God. And they are such things as these, the nature of a God and his infallible and adorable perfections, his excellently majesties inflexible justice, unspotted purity, boundless mercy and volatile faithfulness and truth. What he is in himself and what he is to his people. He hath given us, said, saith the apostle, an understanding to know Him what is true. That's from First John verse two, or First John five twenty. By which is meant not a speculative knowledge, which the devils have in greater deep, greater degree of perfection than we, but that which lies in the practical judgment and directs the governing the will and affections. Thus, Jeremiah. 24 7, I will give them a heart to know me, and I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. The original corruption and depravity of mankind, of this the heathens have some obscure notions, is expressly revealed in the word, and that every real penitent, penitent, penitent has been convinced of it by his unhappy experience. He sees that his faculties are debased, his boasting excellencies vanished, and the limits of the divine image obviated, and his glory laid in the dust, groaning under a burden of guilt and sensible of the inward pollution. He puts his mouth in the dust and cries out with a wholehearted publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. As we think about this sermon, just kind of thinking through this, and there's there's more obviously that again you you see it's it's simple these observations of true of what we can see, what the Word of God tells us. And that it, for him, it doesn't need to be flashy and rhetorical. He was very good. He had the rhetoric to give. He would receive honors from Providence College in Rhode Island because of his literary efforts. He was a man used by God in a small church. And thinking about it, as I was listening to, again, the Covenant podcast on this, they, the, the guest was talking about how towards the end, and this kind of really got me thinking, is that he didn't want to be known. He wasn't one who was seeking the intention. And to think about the people he knew, he would baptize a later Baptist preacher who in one sense is now infamous. And because of his rejection of the mission to the Gentiles. So John Rayland, who would be a leading Baptist minister. I'm reading from Michael Haken here. in the later half of the 18th century now chiefly remembered for the stinging rebuke. He gave the young William Carey and his rebuke is if God kind of paraphrasing, if God's going to save them, he's going to do it without you. William Carey is important because he's the father of the modern day missionary movement. In fact, there, um, Benjamin Bedham is alive during the creation of that. And he valued missions. And when we, we think about his life, nowadays obscure, we should consider the kind of, are we kind of in one way last? Are we seeking to serve others? To not make much of our own name I think it's always a struggle, especially, you know, here I am on a podcast. I want people to watch and share it on Facebook. People I work with, people I go to church with, they know I have a podcast. There is, in one sense, kind of how do we promote thinking? About these things, wanting to talk about these things, knowing that these things, that God can use us in ways that we do not know without seeking the glory. And this at times is a struggle for me as we as we think about what we do. And, and, and to kind of leave now with this thought, just even to challenge myself is... Are we living to glorify God in our lives? Are we seeking to glorify ourselves? And we've seen this in Proverbs. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. We've seen in the Proverbs these ideas of the proud and the fall of the proud. And to think about... to think about that. And I think a lot of this is in light in conversations I've had recently with an elder of mine and just other things going on and thinking about these things and just being really struck by the men in church history that we model ourselves after weren't seeking to be famous. Luther wasn't seeking to be famous. Luther was trying to correct the church. John Calvin is just trying to teach theology and convert his fellow Frenchmen to the ways of the Lord. And to think of Zwingli or Athanasius as they promote truth. They're not seeking the fame. And how much just not that they didn't have this issue back then, but to, to be in check in the, the glitz in which we see all over and, and following the rich and the famous and having their own like entertainment tonight. Our culture affects us, affects our thinking and, We can all say that this is an outworking of sin, a rebellion to glorify ourselves over the creator. And kind of thinking through Benjamin's, Bedham's life and listening and reading and just thinking about what can I take away from this is kind of what. To think about, and I can't remember who said it, but to preach Christ's die, and be forgotten. They were called to be faithful in our fears, and Benjamin Bedham was faithful to his church for 55 years. And we're called to be faithful where God places us. Not to seek the glory of others, but to seek his glory. And to bring others to seek his glory. I think Benjamin Bedham, when we understand him as a preacher, as one who wrote exposition on the Baptist Catechism, and as one who wrote hymns, he did this all to bring his church closer to God, to God's glory. And we should do the same. So this is Ben G two twenty radio for tonight. This is episode number five thirty nine. I'm Benjamin Bedham. and I would encourage you. If you want to know more, um, you can do a Google search. I've mentioned covered and podcasted three episodes. It was like an hour and a half long all combined, something like that. And um, just really good stuff. Uh, you can find a lot of the a lot of his stuff the written stuff on the internet for free and if you want to check out his exposition of the baptist catechism that's also an excellent resource with that for Ricky who could not be with us here tonight i am mike and thanks for joining us in god's bless and god bless